Well, let's take our Bible and turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 2. Joe, thank you so much for the ministry you had to us this morning and with us as you led us in worship, and I just want to publicly thank you for that. Uh, you know, when, when somebody comes up here and leads us in worship, and the team, the praise team stands next to them, they really are part of the ministry of the Word, if you stop and think about it. Uh, we're getting ready to do a series on worship here in the next couple of months, and as I've been kind of thinking about that, one of the things that I've become really convinced of is that most people think of worship as the singing part of the service, and then there's the preaching part, when actually it's all worship. Every bit of it is worship, and it is worship in the Word. And so we sing the Word together, we pray the Word together and then we sit under the preaching of the Word. So, Joe, thank you for the part you've had in that with us this morning. We have been on a little journey with Jonah, and we have made our way to the very bottom of the ocean. There's an ancient Chinese proverb, and most of you know it. It's attributed wrongly to Confucius. Uh, It actually predates him, but the proverb is a very simple proverb, and it simply goes like this, a journey of a thousand miles, can you finish it, starts with a single step. You know, that's a self-evident truth, isn't it? And that proverb is as true for a spiritual journey as it is for a physical one. What isn't captured by that proverb is, is the important reality that the direction of the first step, unless it is providentially changed, will eventually lead to a destination. That's true for Jonah, and that's true for us. And if that first step is a step away from God, if that first step is a step out of God's will, then the journey may lead to a destination that is far away from God, far away from his will, and far away from his blessing. And you can't get further away or deeper down than where you find Jonah in chapter 2. He began his journey with an intentional step in the wrong direction. Now, I found a map that I wanted to show you about this. If you look at that map and you see where Nineveh is... That is to the northeast of where Jonah was located. It's 550 miles north. And that's where God, in chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, said to Jonah, I want you to go there. I have something I want to do in Nineveh when you get there. And in order to do what I plan to do, I want you to go, and I want you to cry out against them. I want you to preach Uh, to them, and I have something that I want to do. And Jonah said, I know exactly what you want to do, and I have no desire to do it. Because I know you want me to go and preach about your judgment, and I'm going to go do that, but I know you. I know exactly what's going to happen when I get there. I'm going to go those 550 miles. I'm going to come into Nineveh. I'm going to open my mouth. I'm going to preach against the wickedness of the city that has risen up against you, and you're going to do something, you're going to show mercy. And I have a massive problem with that. 
Now, Jonah doesn't say any of these words in chapter 1. You have to get to chapter 4 when he's sitting on a hill and he finally tells you what he was thinking all the way back in chapter 1. But that's what's going on in Jonah's mind. Jonah has theological reasons for this. Jonah has moral reasons for this. He is theologically justified. He is morally justified in his mind for what he's about to do next. And so he stands up, he packs up his stuff, and he takes a step in the opposite direction. And he goes down to the port city of Joppa. You can see Joppa there. And he boards a ship that is headed 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. That is the Timbuktu of Jonah's day. He didn't care where that ship was going as long as it took him away from where God wanted him to go and as far away as he could get from what God wanted to do. I mean, look at that ocean. When I started looking at that map, I began to watch where that ship probably went and you can see the dark blue places, how deep the ocean is there. And so you know the story. Jonah comes and he boards the ship. And that direction continued to go in a downward way. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. When he got on the ship, he went down below deck. And when he got down below deck, he got down in his bed. And meanwhile, God was at work. And you know the story. We've made our way all the way through the first two scenes in the book where Jonah finally stands on deck and admits that he is the cause for the ferocious storm that has come against the ship that is threatening to break it up. Everybody on board has been praying. The sailors have been praying to their gods. The captain comes down and says to Jonah, Jonah, would you pray to your God? Maybe he will have mercy on us. We don't know why this storm is upon us, but what we do know is that it is no natural storm. There are supernatural origins to what is going on here, and so we don't know who to pray to. We don't know what God is behind this. We're all praying to our gods. You need to pray to your God, and Jonah would not pray. How do you answer somebody who is desperate for deliverance and ask you to pray and you say back to him, well, actually, God and I aren't talking right now. We're not on speaking terms. You ever found yourself there? And so Jonah comes on deck and uh, the sailors get a brilliant idea. Let's cast lots. And the minute the lots came out, Jonah's heart sank because he knew where those lots were going to land. And sure enough, the lots revealed that the cause of all of this difficulty is Jonah. And so the sailors gather around him and they say to him, Jonah, we want to know what's going on. And so he says, well, let me tell you what's going on. And he tells them the story. And he says to them, I am the cause of all of this trouble. Now, Jonah has a tremendous opportunity, doesn't he? He's given a good confession. He tells them exactly who God is. He tells them exactly who he is. He tells them exactly what he's done. He's got this tremendous confession. In fact, the confession is so good that by the end of chapter 1, all the sailors on board of that ship have converted. 
And they are following Yahweh. That's how good Jonah's confession was. Jonah's confession helped everybody but Jonah. And Jonah says, I'm not willing to repent. And so if you want to know what to do with me, I'll tell you exactly what to do with me. You need to do with me exactly what you did with all the cargo, that precious cargo that you're going to give answer to, to all the people who put it on this boat. In order to save yourselves, you threw that cargo, you hurled it overboard, and that's exactly what you need to do with me. You need to hurl me overboard. You know, there's been a lot of hurling going on in this story so far. God's hurled a storm on the sea. The sailors have been hurling cargo over the side of the ship. And now at the end of chapter 1, Jonah has an option. I can repent or I can perish. And Jonah says, if that's my choice, perish. And so over the side he goes and he lands in the water. The waves are crashing over him. The storm is fierce. And he disappears from sight, and immediately above the ocean, the sea is calm, and the sailors begin to thank the Lord, they begin to pray, and they vow vows to him, and I personally believe they became followers of Jonah's God. And that's where we left Jonah. But that's not where the story ends. Jonah's journey continues down. This intentional first step that he took continues to have a downward direction. Now, let's stop for a minute and make this observation. Not every journey away from God starts the way Jonah's did. Not every intentional step away from God is the kind of step that leads us away from God. Sometimes there is there isn't this intentional, willful, theologically justified step away from God. Sometimes it's as simple as a distraction. Sometimes it's a sweet temptation that came at the wrong time. Sometimes it's a disappointment or an exhaustion. You ever set out to do something for God and you thought it was going to be one way and you put everything in it and by the end you're exhausted, there's nothing left and you look around and you don't feel like you made one bit of difference. And you step away. Maybe it's time to step away from that thing, but you actually, in your heart, step away from more than that. You step away a little bit from the Lord. Sometimes it's a wrong turn. Sometimes it starts when we decide to delay our obedience for just a little longer because it isn't quite the right time. And we convince ourselves that that little step is just a temporary step But however you start the journey, if that step isn't corrected, you're going to end up where Jonah ended up. In a place away from God, away from His will, and ultimately away from His blessing. And then you might find yourself sitting next to Jonah in your own fish that God sent to deliver you from all of that. So if that's where you are this morning, if that's where I am this morning, then Jonah has a message of hope in this section. When Jonah got to the very bottom, he reached the very end. When he got to the very bottom of that ocean, he reached the very end. He reached the very end of himself. He reached the end of all hope. He reached the end of all help. He reached the end almost of his life. And it was from that space in the dark, at the very bottom of the ocean, at the very end of himself, 
that Jonah finally began to do something. He finally began to talk to God. And chapter 2 is the summary of that conversation. So this is the third major scene in the book. And, and let's make sure as we look at the scene, we, we see the setup. There's a setup that Jonah is going to do. Uh, up to this point, Jonah has been telling the story and we have been seeing things. We have been seeing spectacular things. We can picture in our mind's eye this angry prophet heading down to Jonah. We can see the bustling seaport in our mind's eye. We can see this large merchant ship. We can almost see the sails begin to unfurl as the ship makes its way about the ocean. And then we can see the storm. We have been seeing things. When we get to chapter 2, God says to us, and Jonah says to us, now I want you to, I'm going to put you in the dark, and what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to listen to something. So we're going to have to see with our ears. And that's an important uh, reminder here. We need to make sure that we listen carefully to this one-sided conversation that Jonah finally has with God. Because here's what Jonah is going to do. He is going to teach us through this conversations lessons he learned in the dark that he should have learned in the light. Let me say that again. Jonah is going to teach us Lessons he learned in the dark that he should have learned in the light. And you know how often that happens to us? It is pretty constant in my life, isn't it? It's pretty constant maybe in your life as well. That the lessons God wants to teach us, if we would just learn them. I mean, how many times have we sat in church and somebody's opened up the Bible and preached God's word to us and there is a brilliant truth or a lesson God wants us to learn and we dutifully write it down in our Bible and we go right out and six months later it's like that lesson never even impacted us. And God says, all right, and we're going to have to learn this lesson a different way. And God puts us in the dark so that we will learn what we should have learned in the light. And this is what's going on in Jonah. If Jonah could talk to us this morning, he would say this, the conversation that I'm about to have with God happened after I had come to the very bottom of the ocean and I had come to the very end of myself. And when I got to that point, three important things happened to me. I came to my senses. I came to my senses. There's a story about this in the New Testament, isn't there? A prodigal son finally sits in the midst of half-eaten corn husks and he comes to his senses. Here in the Old Testament, a prodigal prophet sitting inside a great fish at the bottom of an ocean finally comes to his senses. Jonah says, I came to my senses and then also I, I also saw God intervene and rescue me. And the rescue was not what I expected. God used something I never would have dreamed of to rescue me from drowning. He used a great sea monster. He used a great fish. It was terrifying when that fish swallowed me up. I thought I had gone from bad to worse, but this was the safest place that I could ever be. There at the bottom of the ocean, in the safety of that great fish, God delivered me. And then number three, Jonah said, I finally began to talk to God. God has been talking to me. God has been reaching out to me. 
God has been orchestrating circumstances around me. And finally, at the bottom of the ocean, I came to my senses. I realized God had rescued me. And I began to talk to God. When was the last time you really talked to God? I'm not talking about praying over your meal. I'm not talking about starting something with prayer. You know, we, we start our services with prayer. We end our services with prayer. We wake up in the morning and we may say a quick prayer. We go to bed at night and we may thank God for the day. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you having a conversation with God about you. Jonah finally had a conversation with God about himself. And it was transforming. Jonah said, let me tell you about this conversation. I learned some things in that conversation that I want to make sure you don't miss. I learned, for example, that theological orthodoxy and religious piety are no substitute for personal obedience. My religious orthodoxy was never in question. My personal religious piety, the things I was doing for God and the things I was saying about God were all correct. Theological orthodoxy and personal piety, I had to come to see at the bottom of the ocean, were absolutely no substitute for personal obedience. I also had to learn that surrender to God's plan is not the same thing as submission to God's will. And I had to learn that the first step toward repentance is the breaking of my will. These are incredibly powerful lessons that Jonah learns at the bottom of the ocean. God finally got God's or God finally got Jonah's attention. And, and what we discover is that there are now con- a conversation is happening. Now, now let's look at the conversation. And then I want, want you to, I want to let Jonah talk to us a little bit this morning. There are actually two prayers here that you don't see right away. The first of them is in uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. When Jonah was in the middle of the ocean and the angry waves were crushing down on him, Jonah cried out to the Lord. He said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah goes over the side of the ship. He lands in the water. The waves begin to crash over him, and he wakes up, and he realizes that he just landed somewhere where he thought he wanted to be, but he actually didn't want to be there. And when the moment finally came for him to perish, he said, Lord, help. That's the first prayer. And the Lord answered that prayer in an unusual way. He sent a portable classroom, a sort of portable bed and breakfast, to to hold his prophet for three days and three nights. And this great fish came and swallowed up Jonah. And when Jonah is there inside the belly of that fish, he prays a second time. And the content of that prayer is the rest of this chapter. The language of this prayer that Jonah prays is filled with expressions of gratitude. It's shaped by Jonah's theology and its orthodoxy 
and it expresses outward spirituality. It even had the effect that Jonah hoped for. God did rescue him. God did deliver him. And it appears that Jonah is ready to to turn to the Lord and to return to his presence. I mean, this seems like a great prayer. But, before we jump to the conclusion that since Jonah is now safe in the belly of a fish, and he's now talking to God, everything must be okay, Jonah would stop and he would say to us, now, wait a minute, I, I want to point out to you that there are things missing. Now, remember something. Jonah is writing the book of Jonah after all of the events in the book happened. So he's looking back on these events, and he's writing the story the way that it happened, but as he writes certain parts of the story, he writes those parts to make sure you pick up lessons that he hadn't learned yet when those events actually happened. And so it's like Jonah stands off to the side and he says, I want, I want to tell you about my prayer. I want you to listen to my prayer and then I want you to think about what I said and, I, and what I didn't say. I want you to think about what I said and then I want you to think about what I didn't say and then I want you to think about how I said what I said. And when you listen and you find out what I didn't say, And then when you figure out how I actually said some of the things I said in the prayer, uh, you're going to discover what I learned later. I really didn't get it yet. God got my attention, but he hadn't yet broken my heart. He got me to concede, but he didn't get me to submit. By the end of chapter 2, I think Jonah would say it this way, by the end of chapter 2, I was so frustrated with the circumstances that I was in that I said, Uncle! You ever said, you ever played that game? You ever watch kids play that game? It's like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm not going to stop doing this until you say, Uncle! And you're like, can I say aunt? Can I say cousin? Can I say brother? Why can't I say, why can't I call the dog's name? Why does it have to be uncle? I don't know why it's uncle, but it's uncle. And you're not going to get out of this pain until you say uncle. And you cut it out, and, you, and, and finally you just can't take it anymore. And you say, uncle! And that's what Jonah does from the bottom of the sea. There is a big difference between saying uncle and saying Lord. And Jonah hasn't said Lord yet. I mean, he said it in his prayer So it's theologically accurate, but it hasn't really changed his perspective. And Jonah says, I don't want you to miss that. When you listen carefully to my prayer, what you won't hear is repentance. What you won't hear is confession. You'll hear hear gratitude. You'll hear good theological orthodoxy, but you won't hear repentance and you won't hear confession. And what's really going on is I have come to the place where I've been willing to comply to God's will, but I've firmly remained committed to the idea that my will and my way is better than God's. So with that in mind, let's look carefully at this text and quickly. And the first thing you see is in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, and it's the grateful reflection of Jonah after the book is written. 
uh, he is praying a thanksgiving prayer. That's the kind of prayer this is. And, and it's a formal prayer that somebody would pray after God did something for them. They would come and they would realize God did an amazing thing. God granted me a deliverance. And so God deserves something. God deserves my gratitude and he deserves a thank offering. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vow a vow and I'm going to bring a thank offering to the temple. And when I get there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer of thanks. And the way the Hebrew people would describe that was this. It is a toda, T-O-D-A-H. And that is, that is what this prayer was. It was a formal prayer of thanksgiving for God's deliverance. It's flavored with gratitude. It's filled with praise. It's marked by reflection. Here's what happened to me. Here's what I learned from it. And then it's intended for instruction. Jonah is praying this prayer and he's writing it down for our instruction. Here's what you should learn from my experience. This prayer is, as I said, being prayed in the belly of a fish. It actually consists of two prayers. We talked about that just a moment ago. But the main prayer is this prayer of this of thanksgiving. And as Jonah looks back on it, he says, I prayed desperately. Look at verse 2. I cried unto the Lord out of my distress. Jonah says, I was in the, I was in the worst possible trouble And as these waves were crashing over me, I shouted to the Lord. I yelled for help. That's the idea. I prayed desperately and God heard graciously. He answered me in verse 2. And later on, He heard my voice. He did what Jonah refused to do. When Jonah heard the voice of God, he refused to respond. When God heard the voice of Jonah... This disobedient, prodigal prophet, he responded. And then God delivered mercifully. Look at verse 6. You brought up my life from the pit. And then something amazing happens in verse 6, last part. Jonah says, O Lord, my God. Jonah has decided to do something. Because of all this mercy that he has received from the Lord, he's decided to do something. You remember at verse, uh, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Jonah decided to walk away from the Lord. He fled from the presence of Yahweh, and we talked about what that meant. He packed up his stuff, and he said, I'm renouncing my position as a prophet. I am leaving the land where God's presence formally dwells, and I'm abandoning my people. Here at the bottom of the ocean, Jonah says something. He says, okay, Lord, you're my God. And it's a theologically freighted statement that means this. I am going to come back. I'm going to come back and pick up my prophetic office. I'm going to come back and I'm going to be part of the land again. And when I get back, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to offer sacrifices. Jonah has decided to return. And what moved him was not the wrath of God. What moved him was the mercy of God. You know, sometimes God chastens us in wrath, but he always wins us with mercy. I'll never forget, years ago, I was pastoring a church in Wisconsin, and we were, seeing, we were in a season where uh, many, many of God's people were doing exactly what you're doing 
They were praying. They were sharing their faith. And God was blessing abundantly. And we just saw many, many people come to Christ. And many, many people began to come to church. And many of those people had never been to church before. And they came into the church, and, and there was a couple. Um, on the, Paul and Paula, never forget them. And they would sit in the back, and they would just weep. We were preaching through Second Peter, and I'm thinking, my goodness, how can you weep at Second Peter? There's nothing to cry about in here. And they were just crying. And, uh, and one day, uh, we took them to lunch, and I said to them, Paul and Paula, tell me your story. And they told this incredible story. They said, Pastor, we blew up our lives. They had met. They were both married. They worked at the same place, and they uh, committed adultery with each other, and they destroyed their respective marriages, and then they got married to each other. And they said, we gave ourselves to every conceivable sin that you could think of. Anything you read in the Bible, we tried. And the more we sinned, the more God blessed us. He just poured blessing after blessing after blessing on us. He gave us mercy after mercy after mercy. And one day we, we woke up and we saw this mountain of mercy that God had given us and it broke our hearts. And they came to Christ. And then they began to grow. And I just want you to know, folks, this is the God you serve. God may have to chastise you in his discipline, but he will win you with mercy. And that's exactly what we see here in the book of Jonah. And so there is this reflection, this grateful reflection. And as he reflects, there is this desperate contemplation as he remembers what it was like in verses 3 through 6. He was in desperate conditions. He was cast into the very heart of the sea. The, the depths were swallowing him. Weeds were drowning him. Life was departing from him. He said, I went down to the land whose bars closed on me forever. That's a very poetic way to describe the land of death, the realm of death. Jonah said, listen, I was so far down, the currents were so strong, the water was so deep, the weeds were so wrapped around me that I was about to enter the land that I would never return from. I was about to enter the land of death. And then you did something. And as I was down there about to die, I realized that you had been doing all of this. You were the one who cast me into the deep. Yes, the hands of the sailors were the ones who threw me over the side, but you providentially were working all of this. You were the one who caused the storm. You were the one who owned the waves and the billows that drove me to this place. I thought it was just. I thought it was right. But you had a verdict, and you rendered that verdict the minute I went over the side of that ship. It was you who cast me into the deep. It was your waves and your billows that did all of this. And so I concluded something. I concluded that I was driven away from your sight. I began to realize I have really done it now. 
I said in chapter 1, I am renouncing you, I'm renouncing your office, I'm renouncing your people, I'm renouncing your land, and I'm headed out, and you validated that. Now you are driving me away. Like you drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. Like you drove Cain out of the land. Now you've driven me away. And yet, and yet, when I called in the middle of all of that, you delivered me, you sent this sea creature, and you rescued me, and here, from the safety of this sea creature, I know, I know that you have delivered me. And I know something else. I know that one day, soon, I'm going to be again at the temple. I know that you've delivered me. You have brought up my life from the pit. You know, when you get to the very bottom, and some of you have been there, and some of you are headed there, and all of us have the potential of getting there. When you get to the very bottom, and you come to the very end, and you realize there's nobody to help. You've called every friend. You've used every lifeline you've got. You've, you've, you've touched every relationship. You've tried everything you know. You've been here, you've been there, and here you are, and you're at the very bottom, and you're at the very end, and all of a sudden you realize there's nobody left. Nobody will take my calls. Nobody will believe me anymore. I've said it so many times. Nobody's going to believe me another time. You ever been there? And then God rescues you. You know what you know? You know what Jonah knew. It was God. God did it. Some of you are sitting here and you know as you're sitting here singing about God's amazing grace that not too long ago you despaired of even life. Some of you sitting here can look around and see all of the damage that could potentially have been done or maybe even was done and here you are and God has been gracious to you. God did it. God did it. And Jonah says, I look back and I contemplate my desperate condition and here's what I know. You were the one who put me in it and you were the one who brought me up. And because you brought me up, you are going to take me back. Here's a great lesson from this prayer. You can never run so far away from God that there isn't a way back. If Jonah's prayer could go from the bottom of the ocean to the ear of God, so can yours. If God's hand could reach down into the very depths of the ocean to rescue a prodigal prophet who was so stuck in his self-righteous stubbornness, then God can do the same for me. God can rescue me. And God can rescue you. That brings us to the third thing in the prayer, and that is this self-righteous comparison. And you see this in verses 7 through 8. Jonah has cried out to the right person. I remembered the Lord. And he's already told us about the Lord in chapter 1. He said the Lord is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And Jonah has a lot of experience now with the sea, and he would like to have a new relationship with dry land. And he says, I cried out to the right person. He cried out by the right means. I remembered the Lord in my prayer came to you. This is in chapter 2. Verse 7, and it came to the right place. 
It came to your holy temple. It came right into your presence. And it expressed a righteous theological truth. Two times in this little prayer, Jonah talks about the temple. You know, we don't have a temple today. We go to church. We have churches. But if you lived in ancient Israel, there was a particular place. Solomon built it. It was magnificent. It was was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And the whole world knew that this was the house where God had placed His presence. And when it was dedicated, Solomon prayed. And you can see this prayer in two different places. You can see it in 2 Kings chapter 8. And you can see it in 1 Chronicles chapter 6. And he said this. He got up in front of the whole nation and he prayed to God and he said, If your people... When they sin, pray and direct their prayer to this temple, then you hear from heaven and forgive them. And so this is what Jonah is talking about when he talks about the temple. I am doing what you told me to do theologically. But, but, and there's always a but here, there are some clues in the way that Jonah prays that reveal that everything is not quite right. So let me show you these, all right? Here they are. First, Jonah omits two important things from his prayer. Jonah would say, listen and see if I confess my disobedience. And then he would say, listen and see if I repent of that disobedience. And Jonah says, you you can see all the good things I prayed, but what's missing are my confession of my disobedience and my repentance. You know, sometimes we teach our children how to apologize, don't we? And when your child comes and has done something and he says to you, well, I'm sorry that you were offended, what do you say to your kid? That's not what? That's not repentance. I'm sorry that you were offended. Or what about this? I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry that you were bothered by this. I didn't mean to do this. And I'm sorry if it bothered you. And you could say, well, that's, I'm glad you feel that way, but that's different than saying this, I sinned against you and I sinned against God. Would you forgive me? I was wrong. You can say you're sorry till you're blue in the face, but until you repent and you confess, there isn't true forgiveness. It doesn't have to be said with your words because God can hear our hearts. But at the end of the day, if all you're doing is apologizing for somebody else's oversensitivity, I'm sorry you were so sensitive and that you read it the wrong way and that you were offended by this and that hurt your feeling, instead of saying, I sinned against you, I was wrong, please forgive me. This is Jonah says, I didn't do that. And then notice what, what else he does. He says, I remembered the Lord. I remember the Lord. You say, Pastor Sam, what in the world's wrong with that? Isn't that what you want us to do? I remember the Lord. I sure hope I remember the Lord. I want to remember the Lord. Don't you want want me to remember the Lord? What in the world? What are you saying about this? I remember the Lord. Well, here's an interesting thing. Jonah has been delivered. Remember, he's writing this after the fact, and he's trying to tell you how it happened. And he's saying, now, one of the things that happened that brought about this deliverance was this, I remembered the Lord. That phrase occurs all through the Old Testament, 
from people who experience the kind of thing that Jonah experienced, and they always say it this way, the Lord remembered me. I ran down every reference of this, and it says, the Lord remembered me. It's like Jonah says, I want you to think about what I'm saying. I'm saying, I sort of earned this deliverance. I sort of deserved this deliverance. I knew what to do to get it. I remembered the Lord. Well, what he should have been saying, and he's saying this to you, he's saying, if you're listening to what I said and what I didn't say and, and how I said what I said, you should pick up something. I, I'm putting this prayer before you because it's going to reveal something. I still have a ton of self-righteous piety in me. I still believe that God, that I deserve this deliverance because of what I did, I remember the Lord. And, and if Jonah had been truly broken, he would have said, the Lord remembered me. And then the final thing you see here is that he compares himself. And when he compares himself, he kind of thinks, you know, I really am worthy of this mercy. Notice the comparison. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. The word steadfast love there is the word for mercy. They forsake their mercy. In other words, when you pay attention to idols, you don't deserve mercy from Yahweh. But that's not what I'm going to do. Look at what he says. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. In other words, Jonah says, listen, if you uh, think about what I'm saying, there is, in verse 9, a self confident surrender. John says, all right, God, you win. Here I am at the bottom of the ocean. I've got no other options. I, I, I just have nowhere else to go. And so I repent. I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn back to you. I, I'm, I'm going to go back to the land. I'm going to go back to my office. And as soon as I get to uh, the land, uh, as soon as I get back to Joppa, I'll head up to the temple, I'll pay what I vow, I'm not going to be like these pagans you're sending me to, I'm not going to pay attention to idols, I deserve the merit, I I deserve the mercy that you just showed me, but these idolaters you're sending me to don't. Salvation belongs to Yahweh, and by extension, to those who belong to Yahweh. And the people who belong to you don't worship idols. And when they worship idols, they forsake their right to mercy. And you're like, Jonah, do you even hear yourself? Are you, do you even have a clue what was going on above the deck when you were going down? Those sailors, what were they doing? They were vowing vows, and they were giving thanks. And who were they praying to? Not to their idols, but to Yahweh. And what did they get? They got mercy. And Jonah, do you even realize what you're saying? When you say that people who worship idols forsake their right to mercy, what has Israel been doing? You're so ticked because you want to make Israel great again, and you don't want the Assyrians to come and blow them up, and, and, and yet what are they doing? They're doing the very same thing those Assyrians are doing, and yet you think they deserve mercy, and the Assyrians don't. Jonah, your theology is, is all messed. You know, sometimes we can have right theology that leads us in a very wrong place. And that's what happened to Jonah. And God 
was very gracious to Jonah. Jonah said, I'm surrendering to your will, but I'm not submitting to your plan. I'll head to Jerusalem. I'll pay what I vow. And then I'll head to Nineveh like I agree. But when I get there, I am not going to talk one bit about your mercy. When I get there, I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to preach the shortest sermon anybody's ever heard. You say, Pastor Sam, can you go study under Jonah for just a little bit? You all know why. You know, you know that's true. Uh, so here we are. And Jonah says, I'm going to go. When I get there, I'm going to open up my mouth and I'm going to tell him all about God's wrath. And I'm not going to say a word about God's mercy because I don't think these people merit it. You know what Jonah was doing? He was saying, uncle, when he should have been saying, Lord. And sometimes we get there. Well, we need to wrap this up this morning. And so here's the final thing we see. There is a gracious recalibration that you see in chapter 2, verse 10. Jonah says, let me tell you what happened next. I got done praying this pious, righteous prayer, this theological, orthodox prayer, and now that looking back on it, I begin to realize, man, I had so much more that God needed to fix, but God was gracious, and God began to work with me in that.